Hello again, and welcome back to the Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast series that explores priority topics with Medicaid leaders. My name is Diane Hasselman, and I am Deputy Executive Director at the National Association of Medicaid Directors, or NAMD. NAMD is excited to work on this podcast series with the Center for Healthcare Strategies. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. As we release new episodes of the podcast, we're continuing to feature conversations between Medicaid directors and sometimes members of their executive team. We're looking forward to our upcoming discussion, which we're organizing as a mini series, looking at a variety of leadership dynamics at play for directors and their senior teams as they work to address equity, both within their agencies and for their members. I'd like to introduce the moderator for today's session, Gretchen Hammer. Gretchen works with NAMD and states to provide strategic support and was the Medicaid director in Colorado. She has also served on the NAMD board of directors. With that, I'll turn it over to Gretchen to say a few words and to welcome today's conversation participants. Gretchen? Sure. Thanks, Diane. Uh, it's nice to be back on the podcast with everyone. As always, I'm joined by Mark Larson from the Center for Healthcare Strategies and just thrilled to be able to have our conversation today as part of this series focused on equity. Today, we're turning internal and beginning to look and learn from some of the efforts that have been going on in state Medicaid programs to advance equity and to support staff of color who work within state Medicaid programs. We're very lucky to be, to be joined today from staff from the state of Virginia, as well as the state of Wisconsin, who will share about their work and journey that they're on to advance equity and to support staff of color. I'm gonna turn it over to each of them to introduce themselves and to provide you with what they do in their state agencies. And then we'll jump into the conversation. Marlia, I'll start with you. Thanks, Gretchen. Uh, my name is Marlia Matke, and I'm an assistant administrator within the Wisconsin Medicaid program. My focus area is eligibility and enrollment. Um, that is a recent change in the past year or so we reorganized. So I used to have the area of benefits as well. So today, these days, I really focus on eligibility and enrollment. I'm really excited to be here today. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, Gretchen. My name is Ivory Banks. I am the chief of staff here at Virginia Medicaid, and I have the responsibility for business continuity, our workforce development, and also our health equity and DEI plans. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, um, Marlia and Ivory, let's jump right into the conversation. Obviously, our nation has been going through a reckoning uh, toward racial justice and of understanding and perhaps re-examining what we know to be uh, both inequities in our healthcare system, but also in many of our um, institutions, including uh, big state agencies, like where you all find yourself working. So maybe I wanna just start with having you give us an update on what prompted your leadership team to begin to look at issues of equity and to understand that that would be something that you would prioritize and what you sort of started to work on first in terms of identifying where you might have opportunities to support staff of color in different ways and to advance equity. Ivory, I'll start with you if that's all right. And just again, how you all began this journey and where you are today. Sure, thanks Gretchen. Um, 
Uh, we began this journey by we sent out an employee engagement survey to all of our staff just to kind of get a feel of the culture of DMAS and anything, you know, anything we could do better or, you know, where things were working. And from that survey, we got a lot of feedback, um, you know, some that we were aware of and some, you know, was very, very disheartening and didn't we had no idea that those type of things were happening in our culture um, as a workforce. So what we did was we took the actual feedback feedback from our staff and actually came together with a work group to figure out how we were going to tackle the feedback they had. And I will say uh, one of the biggest things was separating HR, what we call employee issues, employee relations issues versus those DEI initiatives that um, we could actually do something with. So it was it was labor of love from that point on. And what we did was we went through and we chose the top four things that we heard back from our employees, which of course, um, I probably hear this across the board on each Medicaid agency is, you know, equitable pay. And um, we also heard uh, promotions, um, also um, recruitment, uh, you know, making sure that they are diverse and that we are spreading those um, throughout the Commonwealth. But then also um, inclusion. And one of the things, you know, that most most agencies or most places you work for are diverse naturally. You know, they have diverse cultures, diverse types of demographics, but that big part of inclusiveness um, is something we heard a, not, a lot that says that, hey, you know, um, I'm not treated the same as someone else or my counterparts. I'm not paid the same, even though we do the same jobs. I'm not offered the same professional development opportunities and things of that nature. So um, we, from there, we did a whole lot of things and that was actually back in 2016. So, <laughs> From those um, initiatives, we created a DEI council where you know, we asked folks to volunteer, where we would have small group discussions and actually work on these initiatives. But the biggest part of that was that in, you know, inclusiveness to make sure that you know, we weren't just saying, okay, we're gonna do these things and you know, hope that this is what you want us to do. So we did have a council where we also have an executive board that is also in charge of each one of the items, of like such as celebrations and, um, like I said, uh, professional development policy and things of that nature. And from there, a lot of great things spawn out. I, I will say that I, I'm very proud of where we are. We're not there yet. You know, it didn't happen, you know, overnight. So of course, you know, being able to fix some of these things in our culture is not going to happen overnight. But um, again, we did create a DEI officer as well to be intentional and keep these things moving. You know, even the councils there and I'm here as a, a co-chair, we needed to, we wanted somebody here to say, we take this seriously full-time. This is something that we wanna keep going with. Um, we also increased our awareness of holidays and celebrations. Uh, we actually did, and I'm very big on surveys because you know it, it, it builds trust and transparency and inclusiveness if you say, hey, what is it that you want to see or what do you want to celebrate? And then to actually our staff to actually see that we took them seriously, we heard them. So we did send out a survey of what holidays and celebrations weren't, you know, that we were missing. You know, we usually celebrate the major holidays and things of that nature, but we were missing a lot of them. So um, we did that piece. Also, we required mandatory um, once a month DEI trainings for all the staff. And being that we were virtual due to the pandemic, we put these trainings in what we call our Virginia Learning Center, where they could take them at their convenience. They had to, you know, they had a time period, but, you know, when they had time to actually to actually take those. And some of those included subconscious bias, 
you know, language and things of that nature. Um, we also put an increased focus on employee relations, you know, looking at the disciplinary actions to make sure they're fair across the board and providing coaching opportunities uh, for folks that had some areas of development. And also one of the biggest things too is we did an equitable pay compensation study. And I, I will be very um, honest with you without going into the weeds, we found that some of their, you know, things that they were telling us was right. You know, some of the folks that have been here 30, 20 years were being paid significantly less than those that, you know, just came in. And, you know, sometimes you have salary, you know, compression and, you know, things change, society changes, the market changes, but to see those large of a gaps that we saw and a majority were minorities and women. And, you know, there was, it was disturbing, you know, for me being both, you know, that's, that's disturbing. I will, I will not lie to you and say that was an easy thing to read far as, you know, our, my own agency, but myself being impacted. But um, we did that across the board. And what we did was we brought in an outside vendor. So we, you know, we said that it's not, we're not going to have HR actually, you know, touch this and do this study. Somebody that is, you know, completely unbiased, come in and review everything. And they reviewed the employee work profiles, you know, their classifications and everything and made suggestions for us. And um, I'm very grateful that uh, Director Kimsey, as well as our secretary, supported us. And we actually brought folks up to where they should be, you know, and that was a huge thing for us. But it took at least three years to go through that process. But the staff was you know, very happy. And again, you know, we're not exactly where we need to be. But that helped folks to at least bring them to the median of where everyone else was. Um, and a couple other things I'll highlight, too, is we reviewed all of our agency policies and procedures. And that was huge for us because, you know, we're supposed to do that annually. But some things we found were like outdated terminologies, you know, as far as demographic information and um, also our recruitment policy. There was, you know, nothing in there to prevent someone from um, having a conflict of interest. So we actually some, you know, created a conflict of interest form just to say, hey, do you know this person and what is your relationship to them? You know, not necessarily to say you can't be on the panel, but for a level of awareness for us that the deck, you know, the deck is not stacked so high and that it is fair for everybody in, um, you know, that are applying to those jobs. Um, and then also um, our agency demographics and statistics. We've created a lot of reports and dashboards to see who, you know, is in our agency. You know, you can't really do a lot of things or try to figure out what's the right thing to do if you don't know who your demographics are. And as our agency, we're, we're kind of different than most agencies. We are uh, a perfect split between minority and non-minority, but then also <laughs> kind of high, we're 80% uh, female. So it's very, we are very different than most of our sister agencies. And, you know, with that difference, you have to, you know, the only way we could do initiatives, which is to figure out who we were trying to, you know, do those things for. But um, it's, it's like I said, it's been a, uh, a long journey. Um, a lot of things that were happening externally um, within Virginia, outside in the nation, you know, uh, played a huge role and um, a lot of the things that we were doing and a lot of the small group discussions we were having and a lot of the, um, I, I would say, just learning from each other, learning from each other. That was a huge piece of that. So those were some of the things that we've implemented um, this way. Uh, 
also like to say the DMAS Academy. And um, another thing, uh, which I will give a huge shout out to CHCS is a lot of executive coaching and a lot of leadership coaching, coaching, because it starts from the top to permeate down within our agency. We did a lot of that. And for the first time ever, we will, um, we just started our leadership 360 assessments. So every person in leadership now has a 360 for the staff to give us feedback on opportunities um, of improvement before, you know, before they always say that, you know, you get to performance manage us, but we don't have a space this, you know, to let you know what we need. So um, those are a couple of things that we've done um, in the past, uh, I want to say past three years, but very intentional in the past year and a half. Terrific, Ivory. What a whirlwind of efforts. Um, just amazing. And thank you for sort of pulling them all together so we could see the complexity, right? Because because I think, as you mentioned, when you hear feedback from staff and see that there are inequities that are not um, okay, you, you ne can't necessarily take a piecemeal approach, right? It is sort of a whole a constellation of things have to shift at the same time, or you can undermine confidence. Um, you, you mentioned the incredible importance of transparency and responsiveness, um, just a, a, a tremendous amount of um, wisdom there. Marlia, I'll turn it over to you and we'll learn about Wisconsin and then we can pull some of those threads together and I'll ask a few more questions. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, I, I just really appreciate hearing everything that Ivory had to say. And I definitely can relate um, to a lot of similarities and also some differences from the state of Wisconsin. Our staff is is much higher white staff compared to the diversity that Ivory experiences within the staff with the ethnic diversity in Virginia. Um, so we have some different challenges and struggles to overcome in that respect as far as our staffing goes. Our efforts started around 2013. We started having uh, what at that time was called the Cultural Competence Committee in our division. Um, we had an outside consultant that worked with us to co-lead with myself and a couple others. And we brought together staff from across our division predominantly staff of color to give opportunities for leadership, also hear concerns that people are having and to build more of a focus on cultural competence and equity across the division in daily activities, but also in our support of staff. Over time, that effort grew um, to the point where we were able to do a procurement for a consulting agency to come in and be available to do more of the training and support that, we, that our teams were asking for in that area. So that was um, that happened around 20, 2019 that we were able to get that contract and enhance our efforts with more support from the consulting bigger picture. Um, we did a lot of trainings, um, starting with our executive team around equity and inclusion, also moving that out to our management team and then opening it up to the line staff as well. We are now on our second round of looking at more training and really trying to build more of a stewardship model um, as I, Ivory, clearly already knows is, is, is leading well on the idea of training being something that's a regular activity that is supported. We're looking at developing a stewardship model so we can have regular ongoing support, recognizing that we want this type of work and this focus to be in, in everyone's mind every day as we all do our jobs. And our, our goal is to not ever need a consultant to work with us anymore. It is to have our staff be you know, really thinking of DEI as they're doing their jobs every day and incorporating that into everything that they're doing. We had the good fortune of our uh, current Medicaid director being open and interested in converting a policy advisor position into an equity advisor position for our division. So we do now have a person 
whose job, entire job is to focus on equity and inclusion efforts for our division, which was a great step in the right direction. Um, in general, this work has been led by the people that are passionate about it and had that take the time out of their daily job to do this work. And one thing we're really trying to do is incorporate this work into what everyone's doing and to really force that bigger picture priority, um, strategic priority around equity. And that's something we continue to, to do as well, just for our larger division priorities, recognizing that the more that we're making a strategic priority of equity and the work that we do, it also has an effect for our staff as well um, and really wanting to support our teams in that. Um, one of the things we certainly recognized is the, the challenge of for our equity advisor and others doing this work, predominantly staff of color in our division, really needing more support around how to manage through that in a very white environment in Wisconsin. Um, so we've really tried to develop more opportunities for support um, using some of our consultants as well as our staff that are skilled in this area. We've developed some sharing circles where people can come and just get support around what they're dealing with day to day, whatever that is, um, and feel that they have a safe place to come, that they feel that they can trust that those conversations stay in those groups. And it's a really supportive environment for people to have the energy to go out and continue this work every day um, out in their day to day jobs. Um, kind of um, just, you know, bigger picture, we too have looked at our recruitment and retention efforts, looking at how we're doing our hiring processes. Um, we've learned through experience that sometimes that our state oftentimes our state system has very rigid rules around how we do our recruitments and trying to work within what we have to do but to be more flexible to bring in more candidates of color for our job opportunities both in going to do a lot more recruiting um, out in the world in different places that we might not have recruited before and also looking at just how we're doing hiring i mean we're allowed to go farther down our certification list in the state of Wisconsin if we want to. And we found if we're not just only taking the people that happen to be in the top five slots of our certification list, who are oftentimes people who the system is really built to continue to be in those top five slots. And it's not allowing people that are super skilled and that we really want to get into our organization in the door. Um, so we're doing creative things like doing shorter interviews for the first interview, but going much farther down our certification list. So we're bringing in more candidates that are would be great for our organization, but otherwise wouldn't get that interview in the first place. So we're just continuing to look at creative ways to, to navigate those challenges. Our uh, larger picture at our department, our secretary's office has engaged in the past year in making equity inclusion efforts a more of a priority for the department. So they have been um, dedicated over the past year with the leadership of many staff of color throughout our agency have built an office, a brand new office that will have a leader and five or six staff that will all be focused on equity efforts on as a part of the regular day jobs. We're really excited about that opportunity for our equity advisor in our division to help collaborate and just for all of us as an executive team to help collaborate with that group and lead through that. So in general, I would say we're experiencing some of the same challenges and um, trying to do some similar things that Ivory was describing, um, just in a little different context of the state of Wisconsin. Terrific, thank you so much. Um, I think all of our listeners will be overwhelmed by the amount of just amazing work going on. I did wanna ask though, you know, we know when we're requesting change or, or aspiring to change, and you all have both mentioned the importance of safety and the importance of responsiveness of leadership. I wonder if you could each share an experience where maybe something you tried didn't go over quite like you thought it would, right? Maybe it was framed incorrectly or maybe implemented poorly. Uh, you know, 
how did you navigate through that? I know that some people are hesitant to really lean into this equity work out of fear of, of potentially harming, causing harm or creating a situation where people feel uncomfortable. So I don't know if you each have a, a short example of where you tried something and it didn't quite go as planned and how you recovered from that. I have a, a short example um, that happened kind of recently. We were wanting to um, bring staff together to do some wellness work and really wanted to engage. I have a large uh, office that I supervise in the city of Milwaukee that is predominantly people of color in our office there. And we wanted to engage in a collaborative sort of supportive environment for everyone to come together and discuss wellness with a consultant that we had brought in. And what we realized um, through feedback from our staff after that experience was that it was set up in a way there was a lot of sharing and discussion around what people were feeling at the time. And it was a big mixed environment in, a, in Zoom rooms where we were doing this. And we heard a lot from our staff of color and uh, that they were not feeling very comfortable with that environment. That what was intended to initially be more of a wellness experience of support, they actually felt kind of put on the spot and maybe not as comfortable to share in those environments. And not, of course, not to a person, but we heard enough concern. So we um, stepped back and realized that that was an opportunity that certainly we needed to hear what people were saying and we're looking at other opportunities and being more inclusive of the group that had concerns and thinking about what ways can we support them in wellness activities that will be something that will actually promote wellness and not have them experience stress. <laughs> mm -hmm. Terrific. Thank you. Ivory, I don't know if you've had any of those experiences in Virginia. Oh, absolutely. Um, I will say a, a part of our um, DEI council is a small group discussions. And we always discuss things that are either going on, you know, like I said, in Virginia or nationally. And um, one of our uh, group discussions was the discussion of uh, George Floyd's um, death, as well as the trial that was taking place, but also the uh, the increase of attacks against the Asian American co um, communities. And, um, you know, like I said, we had a very robust discussion, but we had some inappropriate languages used during that discussion where we had to take a step back and say, hey, you know what, we do, we need to do some trainings on what's appropriate and what's not. Um, so one of the things that came out of that was uh, we did, we spent a whole um, hour and a half session on <laughs> certain things that you probably shouldn't say and, you know, that how it could be taken. Um, and historically, you know, there are certain uh, terminologies for different demographics that have been utilized that are, you know, could be hurtful or seen as um, condescending. So we took a session from that and actually went through um, each each types of cultures. And we had some folks from our council that belong to that community actually you know, speak about it, but also just say too that we're all not the same. You know, what bothers me might not bother someone else, but generally speaking, these are some no-no words uh, to utilize. But then also, um, we also saw from that um, that conversation that a lot of the the um, inequities within our um, our own agency was a lot due to folks not just not knowing about other cultures, like not understanding it, you know, not just, you know, having that preconceived notion of it or just not being exposed to people of color. We had some folks that said, you know, I've never grown up in a neighborhood with people of color. So I don't understand, you know, the intensity around these events or I don't understand, you know, the difference between, um, you know, protesting and rioting and different things like that and how pain manifests 
you know, in different communities. So um, another thing that we did from that in that session, um, not only just language, but we charged everybody just to take 5% of their week, just 5% to learn about someone else. Partner up with someone in the council that you would normally not, you know, talk to and be honest or somebody that you, you know, a culture that you're not aware of. So that came out of that discussion, but it was very lively. And, you know, honestly, it was not uh, malicious. It was um, terminology they had been taught, you know, historically from their, you know, their parents or grandparents. And they really didn't know it was offensive until it was actually said. Um, and it, it was the um, the pluralness of um, a race, you know, versus, you know, saying a community or this and the third. And we were like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> So again, you know, we, we learned a lot. It was a little hostile during, but we said, you know what, this is what we're here for. So what came out of that, like I said, was the language training, but then that 5% um, of your time to learn about other folks and um, other cultures and what, you know, what happens in that culture versus, you know, sh and sharing what's going on in your culture. But it was a, it was a lively discussion um, <laughs> during, <laughs> very lively. And thank you for sharing both of those experiences. I think they both show that you have to be attentive to the conversation, right? You have to be um, incredibly present and, and to the point that you used, I think, Ivory, in your opening remarks, with an eye toward inclusiveness, right? That you're thinking, mm -hmm. is everyone feeling included in this conversation? Who might not be feeling included and what might we do about that? So we are coming to the end of our time, but I did want to, before I hand it over to Mark Larson, to provide us his uh, reflections on the amazing work you've done. If you have just one piece of advice to give to a fellow Medicaid leader on their area of focus, on, on their journey in this area, um, what would be that one piece of advice that you would give them? And Ivory, I'll start with you. I will um, just make sure it's not a check the box. You know, a lot, I know it's a lot going on and everybody's focusing on equity now and everybody's focusing on DEI and things of that nature, but it has to be a genuine need and a genuine, you know, buy-in from um, leadership on down. Uh, Director Kimsey attends every DEI council meeting, just even if she can only stay five or 10 minutes, you know, she's there to show that support. I think that's a, that's a huge piece because, um, you know, everybody, when, when you walk through the door or turn on the camera virtually, you don't turn off who you are or the experiences that you bring with you and the fact that um, people experience things different. It, it may be my experience with, um, you know, law enforcement may be different than someone else's or, you know, just anywhere, you know, as far as um, jobs or anything like that. So just, you know, doing it, you know, being genuine when you're doing it, being genuine, um, intentional, and just understand that it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you fall down, you get up, you try something else, you fall down and get up and you're not going to reach everybody. But, you know, just to try to move the mark a little bit, um, no pun intended, Mark, but uh, just a little bit there. I would say that would be my biggest piece of advice for everyone. Terrific. Thank you. Marlia? I think one thing we've really learned is I would, that I would give advice to anyone working on this work is that you have to be willing to recognize that efficiency is not the goal when you're working with equity. We really, it really is the enemy, honestly. I mean, you have to be willing to slow down. And in so many of our high paced, high production Medicaid programs, which is every, everyone in the country, efficiency and the intensity is so strong that it can just 
well right over all the work you want to do on equity. So I think it's making a strong commitment to slow down and be inclusive and really think about these issues. If you don't, it just can't happen. Oh, tremendous advice. It, that's, uh, that's really wonderful. Thank you both. And Mark, I'll turn it over to you uh, to provide your closing comments. Uh, Gretchen, thank you. Ralia and Ivory, it's such a pleasure listening to you, the story that you've shared today. Uh, this feels, Gretchen, like one of the more challenging conversations to summarize. Maybe three things stand out to me today. Uh, one is we often talk in our leadership series generally, uh, but even specifically in our equity mini series about the importance of reaching out to and engaging consumer voices. But in this context, this is an internal conversation, and I appreciated the uh, both informal and formal ways in which both of your states have created opportunities for BIPOC staff in particular to raise their voices, recognizing the risks that they're taking, uh, and building trust and relationship over the course of time to, to be able to have a voice not just once, but seemingly on a regular basis to guide. Uh, what stood out as maybe a second point is the importance of you know, accountable action that sort of you got to keep pushing, keep pushing, even in the two cases that you raised where uh, maybe everything doesn't go so well. Uh, and then uh, the third piece that stood out to me from both of your stories was uh, the connection between this isn't, this is a mission work item. The notion that the way that you serve, you do your mission well as a Medicaid program is related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which Marlia, to your point, means that it needs to have the time given to it to be done well. And Ivory, to your point, that it's, it's not something you check off and go, oh, good, got that one done. Let's move on to the next thing. So uh, those three things, the, the, the voices of BIPOC staff and honoring them in the, in the process, the importance of action, but also accountability along the way, and that connection to mission, which warrants the attention of leadership at a very high level to keep the work going and to make sure that progress is made. I'm really grateful for all that you've, you've shared. Really impressive. And the demonstration of the work that you've done over many, many years, uh, certainly a credit to both of your states and the two of you. Great. Thank you, Mark. Um, Diane, I don't know if you have any final remarks for us, and then we'll hopefully see you all next time on the podcast. Yes, thanks so much. Um, I'd just like to thank Gretchen, Ivory, Marlia, and Mark for their thoughtful remarks during today's conversation. I hope that everyone listening found it valuable. Please subscribe to these podcasts, Medicaid Leadership Exchange, on the Apple Podcast Store, or keep an eye out for future podcasts posted to the NAMD and CHCS websites. Thanks so much.